I'm Kate Daniels. We're really so fortunate to have Dr. Kelly Harding with us this morning. Dr. Harding is an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Columbia University Irving Medical Center in New York City. She runs an outpatient mental health practice, and with her writing, particularly with her new book, The Rabbit Effect, she's teaching all of us, a greater awareness about our health and what we can do to have a good effect on it. So let's meet Dr. Harding and learn. Dr. Kelly Harding, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Oh, Kate, it's really my pleasure. Well, I will tell you, on my part, it's such a pleasure because this book that you've written, The Rabbit Effect, Live Longer, Happier, and Healthier with the Groundbreaking Science of Kindness, couldn't resonate any more greatly with me and a message that I really want to stand alongside and help propagate as much as possible. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm so grateful for the work you do. You bring a lot of kindness. Well, uh, that's the goal. Somewhere along the road, I felt that uh, that was a very important part of life. I think actually years ago, I had an interview with a woman, a Buddhist monk, who said that she had seen a sign in some monastery that said, life is already so tough. How can we be anything but kind? Oh, I love that so much. And it's so true, right? That's something I feel like you know, as in my work as a doctor, I think of a lot. Which is marvelous as you really expand upon through the stories and really uh, trying to draw to scientific conclusions is how that makes such a world of difference. So we want to somehow make this known and available to each and every person in the world because all of us really are the ones who have to enact it, live it, and, and share it, Right. Oh my gosh, that's exactly it. And that was my motivation behind writing The Rabbit Effect is I really felt so strongly that this is a message that needed to be heard beyond, you know, the walls of the hospital and the schools of public health, because it's really something that we need to be doing in our homes, our communities, our workplaces, our schools. And that's really paying attention to how we're treating one another. Oh, amen to that. And the thing is, it's so validating. You share these stories. We may feel like we're all alone, floundering, that you know there isn't really anything supporting what we're doing, although we might notice little changes around us. Isn't that so true? Oh, it's absolutely the case. And I think that's what's so exciting about this, because sometimes it can feel overwhelming to sort of think about, you know, the state of things and, you know, the world. But it's really, this starts within the sphere of influence that each of us has. And what's so exciting is, you know, each of us in our everyday interacts with so many people. And, you know, maybe even as you're listening to this, you're navigating other drivers on the road, or, you know, you'll see people throughout your day. And what's exciting is that all all you have to do is sort of plant the seed and wonder, how can I be kinder and bring a little bit more kindness to the situation in front of me? Oh, yes, absolutely. And so the question might arise in someone's mind, like the rabbit effect. How do rabbits <laughs> really connect to all that? So it's a fabulous story. And I think really bears repeating as much as we want to, but, you know, to start off our conversation. Absolutely. So, 
I love this study, and it's actually, you know, what ended up being the title of the book, The Rabbit Effect, um, comes from this really lovely study that was done in the late 1970s. And like many good scientific stories and discoveries, it was actually an accidental finding, essentially. So what happened is Dr. Robert Neerum was doing a study, and he was looking at, he's a basic scientist, and he was looking at the relationship between diet and heart health, because back in the late 70s, there was still this question about that. So what they were doing is basically feeding these virtually genetically identical rabbits the same high-fat diet. And, you know, they sort of expected routine results of all the rabbits having, you know, the same sort of negative health profile from this high-fat diet. And what they found is that when they went to look at the data, that one group of rabbits had far better health outcomes than the other groups of rabbits. And so initially being good researchers, they thought there was something wrong with their protocol. It turns out that checked out. So then they started looking at each other and they realized, but all the rabbits that were doing better were under the care of one researcher. And she turned out to be this person that was particularly kind and loving. And she wasn't just feeding the rabbits. It turned out she was also petting the rabbits, talking to the rabbits. She was really showing them loving kindness. And much to the researcher's credit, instead of just sort of ignoring this and going on with their original study or, you know, not having her participate in the study and repeating it, they thought, well, this seems like too big a finding to just ignore Um, because, you know, it was like a 60% difference in their health. So what they ended up doing is repeating the experiment, getting the same findings and publishing it in the journal Science. And so this was a really groundbreaking study because it showed that the social world was actually changing biology that kindness was actually making a difference in the health of these animals. And so, you know, from what I found so exciting is that we now have decades of research, you know, following up in the field of public health and what we call in public health the social determinants of health and the rest of us call kindness shows that, you know, how we're treated in our day-to-day lives has a huge impact on our immune systems, on our blood pressures, on our outlook, and our mental health. And it's really exciting science. (laughs) So that's the thing. There is the science around it, but it's something that we can do easily. It ought to be. And in many cases, it is just a natural part of who we are. And if we can just realize, you know, how important it is, we'll have reached our goal this morning. Oh, absolutely. So I think, you know, that's the thing. We all sort of get that we feel better when we have somebody who's kind to us or when we're kind to ourselves. But that, but it's exciting as a physician. I had no idea the extent that that's impacting our health. And I think that's what's really exciting about it. It's not just, it doesn't just feel good. It's actually also scientifically it's the best thing to do. And it also requires us to sort of ask some hard questions about how we've been treating one another. And we don't have to look too far. But if we look just at our our whole world, our poor planet, we see, you know, all the wars, all the bickering that goes on, that obviously enough of this is not working. And what a difference we could make. But as you say, it can be overwhelming. So we really just start with ourselves right in our own little space. We can make a difference and, and have influence. Absolutely. So it's, 
You know, it's really true because it all starts, if all of us sort of took up this idea of being kind actually makes things better. And it really, you know, when you look at how the world changes sometimes, it really starts with one person. Sometimes it's really inspiring. And what's neat is this has this really positive ripple effect, not just on sort of, you know, how we treat one another, but also our health. And I think, you know, for me as a doctor, I was really shocked because the evidence suggests that, you know, while access to quality medical care is absolutely essential for everyone. It turns out that it probably medical care probably only counts for about 10 to 20 percent of our overall health. And, you know, that leaves a big gap as to what uh, other things account for health. And, you know, genetics plays a role in it, but it turns out our genetics is also being influenced by our social environment. So the vast majority of our health relates to, you know, how we're treating one another in these daily interactions. So, you know, things like diet, exercise, sleep are certainly important, but, you know, it turns out also being treated with respect and dignity and kindness makes a world of difference to our bodies as well. And it, it's not just preventing disease. It's also sort of thinking about when illnesses do come because human bodies are prone to them. You know, how do we bear with them? And this book, The Rabbit Effect, is just so filled with so many stories. And stories, of course, are so engaging and really then make it so much more concrete for us. But the stories about people who have some major health issues, and yet they seem to be looking wonderful, doing well in their life. And when you begin to kind of peel away those layers, it really comes down to that kind of life where kindness and connection is going on. Absolutely. So that's the thing. As a doctor, I kept seeing, and it's starting as a medical student, I kept seeing this mismatch between, you know, what was described in a textbook when you sort of read about, you know, how an illness should progress, and then what I was seeing on the wards with patients. And, you know, it was this mystery where it was like, you'd see someone on paper that looked like they should be, you know, deathly ill with serious conditions, but then you meet them and they're actually functioning pretty well. You know, they've lived longer than expected. They're managing to live a full life in many respects, despite, you know, what they've been experiencing medically. And then the flip side of that with um, with people who maybe when you look at their medical record, everything checked out, you know, their labs, imaging, physical exam, everything's relatively within the bounds of what we would call normal, but yet the person is not functioning well and not feeling well and sort of trying to figure out, well, what what's happening there? What are we missing? And so, this led me sort of on, I guess, down the rabbit hole, if you will, down this road to try to figure out what are we missing. And I thought it had something to do with the connection between the mind and body. So I did training first in internal medicine and then psychiatry. And then I ended up doing a research fellowship in unexplained symptoms at Columbia and also um, getting boarded in psychosomatic medicine, which is looking at this interplay between how our mental health affects our physical health. And I still didn't really feel like I had a good answer till I found out about the rabbits and public health and this whole field of social determinants of health or kindness, which um, is just incredible. It just felt like this amazing story that needed to be shared. And so that's what really compelled and propelled you, right? That you, you felt it was so, in a way, simple that people just needed to know so that they could start living this. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, Kate, the other thing is, you know, probably many of the listeners, and I know myself included, have either been in the hospital as a patient or cared for somebody who's in the hospital as a patient. And, you know, you also realize that 
you know, this is a story that's needed both within the walls of the hospital and outside because, you know, even despite like all our high tech medical care and, um, you know, a lot of this really amazing technology, you know, sometimes the best care and the best doctoring and the best medicine has to do with being treated, you know, as a human being and being sort of seeing this whole picture. And, you know, right now in medicine, we have sort of doctors for every bit of the body and it can sometimes feel a bit dehumanizing. And so, you know, this is both a message for my colleagues within the profession and then also for just everyone else to sort of rethink health as more than just healthcare. Like we need to be thinking about health as, you know, what's happening in our schools and our workplaces. Because when you look at the data, you know, the vast majority of our health is really about, I mean, it's amazing. Like, for example, workplaces and how we're treated at work and how we engage at work and how we find meaning at work oftentimes has a lot more to do with our health than necessarily what's happening in the doctor's office. Yes, absolutely. All of that. It's just so incredible. Just everywhere that you touch this in all aspects of our life and not perhaps one of the most fundamental is beginning um, with our infants, you know, that mother-child connection, all the people related to that child and and building on from there, but how critical that is and, and as you point out, in the face of how we have all these devices that we're always paying a lot of attention to, we need to kind of get the message as to where our priorities need to be. Oh, my gosh, absolutely. So you might have heard this term, Generation Alpha, which is describing kids, and it's actually the age of my kids right now, so it feels very relevant to me, especially, you know, we can be, it's kids who have grown up without ever knowing life without a smartphone, essentially. So, you know, because really our world has been changed since we've got these supercomputers in our pocket. And, you know, you just have to walk down the city street and realize how much we're looking at our phones or ride a subway or something and see we're not necessarily looking face to face. We're looking at our devices. And while technology in many ways is terrific, it allows us to have this conversation right now between New York and Seattle. At the same time, you know, we have to be starting to learn to set parameters around a lot of that because, you know, the studies really show, you know, our friendships are so critical and we have to be trying to meet face to face as much as possible because as human beings, we are just these incredibly social creatures. And while technology is great, it's not the full story. There's all these really cool studies showing how when you're talking with someone in the same room, your brain actually syncs up, which is neat to hear. And, and when you have a positive, supportive relationship, you know, physical touch is important, you know, even hugs with friends. Like if you have any, if for listeners, you know, if you're near a loved one, consider giving them a little squeeze or a pat on the shoulder or something, just being sort of more mindful about how important that is to our health. Absolutely. And, you know, I think of on our commute, as you were mentioning, the subways here with our buses and trains, whereas people in the past would have perhaps, you know, had conversations with each other, or they might be reading a book and be able to relate. Now it's all hidden. So you can't even find a way to connect with people. And those are so many lost, important ways that we can be that important, kind connector to help someone's uh, day and ultimately life be different. Well, that's what's so amazing. So this is particularly personal for me because I met my husband on an airplane and we sat next to each other. And it's funny because we sometimes joke that we might not have met each other had the smartphone been invented because... (laughs) 
maybe we would have been so involved in our devices, we wouldn't have sort of noticed each other sitting there and started a conversation. But, you know, there are all these studies about happiness, and there are a number of people in positive psychology working on this, but really our relationships are both the quality and quantity. And so little social interactions during the day are actually also good for our health. So, you know, I'm trying to be much more mindful putting my phone away, maybe striking up a conversation with the person behind me in line or sitting next to me, um, you know, and just these little acts of kindness, even the person handing you a cup of coffee in the morning, like all of that counts. So, you know, locking eyes, saying a hello, maybe asking just how their days going or something, you know, it, it actually makes us feel good in a way that bolsters our stress levels and helps buffer whatever our day might hold. And we can think of this then in terms of schools and all the really negative stuff that goes on with bullying. And we could see where if we could turn that around, you know, change all that negative interaction. And if we unravel it, we might find that those who bully, you know, they're having negative stuff happen in their life. So to be more conscious of it and see where each of us as individuals really has that kind of power. Oh, it's so true because I think, you know, whether it's in a school or a workplace or, you know, just people you interact with in the community, um, there's so much pain out there. And, you know, we know that one of the things that I talk about in The Rabbit Effect that is just everywhere in our environment that isn't necessarily part of the discussion is trauma. You know, it turns out that pretty much every other person you pass on the street has some history of trauma. And, you know, a lot of times people don't, you would never know. And also, you know, it's the kind of thing there's a lot of shame around sometimes even mentioning it or being aware of it. So usually, you know, there's a saying that hurt people hurt. And so, just being aware that if somebody's being unkind to you, it could be they have more going on behind the surface than you're aware of. So it can help you be empathetic and not add to the situation when you see not great behavior. And then the other thing is we're so quick to other people. So, you know, sort of somebody goes in like an outcast group or something um, and just realizing we're kind of all in this together. How do we make it so that you know, we're all supporting one another because ultimately we are a part. We're so interconnected in this way that, you know, we're just beginning to understand. But, you know, the sad part is our data right now is showing that we're not doing a particularly good job of it in the U.S. Because, you know, our health outcomes, when you look around the world, we're spending a fortune on medical care and we're not, you know, a child who's born in the U.S. is much less likely to reach her fifth birthday than in other countries around the world. We have higher mortality rates with maternity care. We've got, you know, higher rates of premature death across the board. It's striking. It's not just a little bit. It's striking. We are somehow missing a big piece of health when it comes to taking care of one another in this country. And to read some of that was just so shocking because we like to think there's so much that's good that's going on, all the research, all the changes in terms of healthcare, and yet, you know, some of those very basics of like a young child not reaching their fifth birthday, of not having like across the nation uh, maternity leave, paternity leave for parents when they have a newborn. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, it's really, when you look at the data, there, so there are only, you know, two countries in the world that basically don't provide maternity care or maternity leave. And so it's Papua New Guinea, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and the United States of America. So, you know, it's pretty shocking that a country as developed as ours doesn't provide 
such basic support. And I think, you know, there's also these fascinating studies that I talk about in the book that show really low-cost interventions, you know, for new moms and new babies and new families actually have you know, decades down the way, repercussions for not only health, but also society. So, you know, providing like nursing care, home nursing care for kids right after birth and new moms not only decreases rates of trauma at home and abuse, but it, it also reduces substance use within the family. And it also, it reduces crime rates 15 years plus down the road. These are well done studies, but the problem is you have to be thinking long-term. These are not quick fixes. You've got to you know, in the book, I think I said, you know, we talk about being tough on crime, but really we need to be gentle on new moms and new families because it looks like the more support and kindness we can give people up front, the better people will fare down the road. Oh, so absolutely. You share those stories of that really important bond that happens so young in life to support all that we can to make that happen. So whoever's going to hear this that can help to rally forward to support that, that's what we need to do is really demand that. Yeah, you know, I I think people are well-intentioned, and that's why also I wanted to give people the data. I mean, the data is like overwhelmingly conclusive that we need to do a better job taking care of one another. And that's why, you know, it's from across the board. And it's also fascinating to me, you know, we've talked a little bit about bullying in schools, but the other piece of this is actually, it turns out that education is probably sort of like, you know, the mother of all the hidden factors when it comes to protecting our health. So, you know, that's not only educating new moms and families, but it's also educating kids in school, supporting kids in their journey through education because um, there's some startling statistics that, you know, um, basically for every one life saved by biomedicine, education saves eight. But, you know, we heavily invest in biomedicine, which is wonderful, but we also need to be thinking about how we invest in our education systems and how we support teachers and students. That is really an, uh, an incredible statistic. And yes, we know education is so critical. And sometimes there seems to be a disconnect to think about uh, this being incorporated in its own way in classrooms, I think could make education feel so uh, much more meaningful to kids. They feel like, oh, I'm not learning anything. But when it would be like this life lesson, wouldn't that engage them? So it's it's really incredible. And as um, the mom of three students right now, there's there's two pieces of this. One sort of recognizing that, you know, education is actually a critical part of health. And what's neat is it goes beyond just sort of like learning itself. It seems that, you know, just sort of like formal education. It seems as though there's something about when you're engaging curiosity and you're getting people, because, you know, the best learning also connects us to our communities and provides sort of all these hidden factors because we develop friendships, we develop, you know, interests, and it turns out having a sense of purpose actually is good for our health. And there are these really cool studies looking at telomere length and a sense of purpose. And telomeres are the little bits of the DNA that um, are associated with our lifespan and all causes of disease. So, What's interesting about that is it seems as though people who have a sense of purpose actually do better, one, with illnesses that come and also preventing illnesses. So um, 
that's just amazing to me that, that you know, it's, it's actually important that we're critically learning through, or it's critical to our health that we're learning throughout our lifespan, which is great because for a listener right now, you know, if you have something you're interested in, whether it's like, you know, learning a new skill, you know, an exercise class, whatever it is, like just sign up, take a friend, um, you know, talk to the people while you're there and try to get engaged in the community. And there's lots of online options these days, too. That's the place technology is really helpful. Right. Yes. But if we could get out into the community to take classes together, isn't it, you're taking a dance class, right? Or Yes. Yeah. I, <laughs> that's it. You've done your homework. Yes. So I've been taking a hip hop class, which is, which is really fun. And I, I think the other big thing of it is like, I end up just, I'm not a particularly good dancer, but I end up laughing a lot during it and just having a really good time. And, it's been so much fun. And so the other thing I would say is, you know, getting out, doing something and, you know, whatever you can do to also boost your spirits is also a positive thing. And exercise is almost always one of those. The other thing I've done is I've started exercising with a friend because then, I'm, you know, basically you're just trying to create as many buffers to stress. Um, through these different channels as much as possible. And that's one of the big takeaways with the rabbit effect is, is, you know, really try to treat your social interactions as important as you do your diet and your sleep schedules and exercise schedules and all that. Because, you know, the studies really show that, you know, things like loneliness are, um, you know, as serious a health risk as things like high blood pressure, smoking 15 cigarettes a day, heavy alcohol use. Like, you know, our doctors often ask us about those things, but not necessarily about our support system. But we all know when things don't go well or when there's trouble, it's, it's critical to have that support system in place. And you share stories of that, about communities and, and how with all conditions being the same, but community being stronger and people really connecting with each other, sitting on their porches and talking with each uh, other, right? Community. Yeah. There's, I mean, probably one of the best public health studies that was ever done showing this. That's also just um, a, a classic is the story of Rosetto, Pennsylvania, where, you know, it was this community that nobody was getting heart attacks and, um, and so these doctors came in to try to investigate, you know, what, what about their diet was it that was different? And then through their studies, they basically were turning up nothing was different compared to the broader population. But what they noticed in their time in Rosetto is that they were a community. They were taking care of one another. And, you know, there was also um, – what I found also striking about it is, you know, people were generally not flashy about what they had. And when people were having a hard time, they came in and supported them. And, you know, we tend to be pretty focused on the individual in the U.S. And so, but really think about how can you build your community and what are the channels for doing that? And, you know, for some people it will be through maybe their religious affiliations or for other people, it might be through their school system, but it also can be things like volunteering. Um, it can be a, taking classes at your library. You know, there's so many, or a hip hop class, <laughs> whatever it may be, like think about ways to get out there. And the other thing is you want to, um, you know, so there's studies that volunteering is actually beneficial for the volunteer. It helps them live longer. So whatever you're interested in, I would encourage you to sign up and, you know, spend an afternoon. You can do, you know, online, there's sort of like one-off volunteering projects. They're not always a big commitment if you have a lot going on, or there's longer term volunteering projects too, which are also fabulous because they sort of take you out of your day to day and show you that broader world and community. 
And one really critical thing here, get a copy in whatever format you wish of The Rabbit Effect, Live Longer, Happier, and Healthier with the Groundbreaking Science of Kindness. We owe it to ourselves. It just really is so uplifting. It also is going to give us such positive energy and endorphins and uh, makes us laugh and cry even. And it's just wonderful. And let's mention your website as well, Dr. Kelly Harding. Yes, kellyhardingmd.com. This is all kind of new for me because this is my first book. And so I want to make sure that people have a place where they can gather information. And then I would say one of the things that's been, and I'm also on social media, I've started an Instagram account and Twitter and Facebook as well, I believe. But I was going to say um, one of the things that has been so heartwarming about this, Kate, for me is all of the people that have shared their stories of kindness with me and how it's made a difference in their lives. And I think, you know, a lot of times the news can be negative, but there's so much good happening out in the world. And we have to keep that in mind. And, you know, it doesn't always make for the like most um, alluring news story, sometimes the goodness, but it's really happening there. So just, you know, tap into those channels, go out there, contribute, do what you can to make your neighborhood a better place, to make your school a better place, your workplace a better place, all of it. It all counts. And to that, I would say that is what's really alluring, making this world just the best that it could ever be beyond our wildest dreams. Yeah, you never know what a single act of kindness, what a difference it'll make for somebody. And so that's why we say just practice that. You've given us lots of ideas already, Dr. Hardy. Uh, But in the book, you also share some great ideas. The stories might be the thing that are inspiring as well. So my deepest thanks to you for really following that desire to share this in your book, The Rabbit Effect, and certainly for taking time with us this morning. Oh my gosh, absolutely my pleasure. And again, I'm so excited for your listeners because who knows the good things that they'll get up to. Indeed.